Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Reports of his death, if they're true, and I have no reason to believe they're not, Russian authorities are going to tell their own story. But make no mistake, make no mistake, Putin is responsible for Navalny's death. Putin is responsible. What has happened to Navalny is yet more proof of Putin's brutality. No one should be fooled, not in Russia, not at home, not anywhere in the world. Putin does not only target his citizens of other countries, as we've seen in what's going on in Ukraine right now. He also inflicts terrible crimes on his own people. And as people across Russia and around the world are mourning Navalny today because he was so many things that Putin was not. He was brave. He was principled. He was dedicated to building a Russia where the rule of law existed and where it applied to everybody. Navalny believed in that Russia, that Russia. He knew it was a cause worth fighting for. Of this, I'm not questioning you, President Biden. I'm asking, what's your plan? Because you threaten devastating consequences. And I don't accept the idea that you're willing to talk like a big shot a couple of years ago, and now there's nothing to do. Why should I have listened to your big shot conversations then? And why should I trust anything you say now? You said to the world that Alexei Navalny is a freedom fighter. Alexei Navalny, that, that's my word right there. Alexei, Alexei Navalny is, is doing what is necessary against Putin. And if he should die in prison, the response to Russia and the consequences will be devastating. That is standing up for the opposition, standing up for somebody who, as you just stated, President Biden, wants a better Russia. Well, that man died in Russian custody, died in a prison north of the Arctic Circle. Lord only knows what happened to that man. You think I'm going to believe the official Russian story that he simply collapsed and then went unconscious and died? Hell no. No one is. So where's the response? You want to tell me that the response is just send more money to Ukraine? This tragedy reminds us of the stakes of this moment. We have to provide the funding so Ukraine can keep defending itself against Putin's vicious onslaughts and war crimes. You know, there was a bipartisan Senate vote that passed overwhelmingly in the United States Senate to fund Ukraine. Now, as I've said before, and I mean this in a literal sense, history is watching. History is watching the House of Representatives. The failure to support Ukraine at this critical moment will never be forgotten. It's going to go down in the pages of history. It really is. It's consequential. And the clock is ticking. And this has to happen. We have to help now. With all due respect, it is not that I don't support the idea of supporting Ukraine. I do. I understand what Russia is. I understand what Vladimir Putin is. And I must disagree with the people on social media who, after my conversation with Senator Todd Young, want to say, oh, Putin's not going after Poland. That's a red herring. With all due respect, of course he is. And to not think so is to not understand history, is to not understand Putin, and is to not understand the situation. But two things can be true at the same time. 
Tony Katz. That's me. Tony Katz today. 833-GOT-TONY. 833-468-8669. It's not your radio. It's me. I have a cold. And, uh, and it's messing with the voice. I don't give a good holy damn what Tucker said in a video. Of course, Vladimir Putin has eyes on Poland. Vladimir Putin makes the claim that Poland is actually Russian territory. He is trying to reset the historical clock in order to have a pretext for that moment, which becomes a lot easier if he controls Ukraine, which is the argument for supporting Ukraine because it's a protection for Poland, which means a protection for NATO, which means a protection for the United States from getting involved in a conflict. Now, the populist may not believe that, but the populist is wrong. And I am more than okay with saying so. I'm down for this fight. But the very argument being made by Joe Biden about funding Ukraine is very much a, uh, a lost argument when you do not recognize that if the key objective is keeping Americans safe and funding Ukraine to be able to fight a war against Russia so it doesn't involve U.S. troops, keeps America safe, it would stand to any rational conversation that having a secure southern border to ensure that no ill actors can get into the country would be equally as important. So why is it that the southern border is not only just placed in second place to funding Ukraine, but doesn't even make it onto the same scoreboard, onto the same field, in the same game? If we're going to rank the things, one must protect their border before protecting anything overseas. I understand what Russia is. I understand what Vladimir Putin is. I get it. And even I, a supporter there, in terms of supporting Ukraine against Russian invasion, I recognize, as clear as day, that the southern border has to be protected. You put together a border bill that was nonsensical, You then got the Senate to pass this legislation as a way of applying pressure, and you told Americans, we'll deal with your problem later. But first this. I'm not arguing that this, Russian invasion of Ukraine, Russian aggression isn't an issue and has long-term ramifications. I am arguing that to not think that the lack of protection on the southern border doesn't have long-term ramifications is such a radical concept that it is hard to understand how you function. You would get the funding for Ukraine if you would just build the damn wall. If you would just add the more technology. If you would just maneuver policy that allowed for people to work the farms because the food is necessary. Just the simple stuff. And you did it without connection to anything else. Stop connecting it to other things. Get those three things done. Why is this so hard for you? Why is it so hard for you to say we are not going to take any asylum claims? 
we're going to secure a border because the threat from Iran, the threat from terrorists uh, like Hamas, uh, again, I mentioned Iran, the threat from Russia, the threat from the Communist Chinese Party. My gosh, there's a lot of threats out there, and they're just walking through. Lord knows the number of cells or the number of bad actors that have been able to cross the border. How many of the numbers in those gotaways involve those people? We know about the people we've gotten on the terrorist watch list. We don't know about the people we haven't, and we don't have a good enough border at all. So don't tell us we'll get to that. Don't tell those Americans that we'll get to that. The people who I disagree with about Poland, and I will tell you to your face that you are wrong. You're not wrong to notice that our southern border is not secure and that you're ranking that first. You're not wrong about that. It is nonsensical to fail to admit that. It's nonsensical not to address it. But goodness gracious, if you don't understand that Russia's objective is expansionist, you're not being honest with yourself. And in Joe Biden's speech, He was asked about, hey, you said there would be devastating consequences to Russia if Alexei Navalny, this opposition leader, died uh, in in their custody. Sir, first, was this an assassination? The answer is that we don't know exactly what happened, but there is no doubt that the death of Navalny was a consequence of something that Putin and and his thugs did. And to be clear, you warned Vladimir Putin when you were in Geneva, of devastating consequences if Navalny died in Russian custody. What consequences should he and Russia face? That was three years ago. In the meantime, they faced a hell of a lot of consequences. They've lost and or had wounded over 350,000 Russian soldiers. They've made them in a position where they've been subjected to great sanctions across the board, and we're contemplating what else could be done. But the, the, what we were talking about at the time, there were no actions being taken against Russia. And that's, look, all this transpired since then. Yeah. With, with all due respect, are you out of your mind? Man, see, it's times like these. I wish I had my voice. Are you out of your holy damn mind? That was three years ago, and there's been a hell of a lot of consequences. No, 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 no. You said if Alexei Navalny died, there would be the, the consequences for Russia would be disastrous. And now you're saying, eh. How many more times are you going to tell the world that you are a lying fraud, that all of your big, big talk is a load of crap? You giant windbag. Tell me more about corn pop. Oh, good God. Who is this guy? Who is this chump, this failed leadership? You were willing to talk big because there were no consequences for what you said. You didn't have to worry about it. And then all of a sudden it comes to fruition and you're like, eh. Which was always going to be your answer. 
All these sanctuary cities talk so big. We're a sanctuary city. We're not going to help immigration and customs enforcement. We're not going to let these law enforcement agencies work together. Then all of a sudden, they got 8,000 illegal immigrants dropped at their doorstep. Now they're crying to their mama while they also tell you how they really care about others. While they're throwing people out of their city. How easy it is to be a guy of big words and big statements when your plan is never to act on them and it's always somebody else's problem to begin with. I don't have to have the consequences for them. I've already done tough things. And after all, isn't this all just Trump's fault to begin with? You know, we have to realize what we're dealing with with Putin. All of us should reject the dangerous statements made by the previous president that invited Russia to invade our NATO allies if they weren't paying up. He said if an ally did not pay their dues, he'd encourage Russia to, quote, do whatever the hell they want. I guess I should clear my mind here a little bit and not say what I'm really thinking, but let me be clear. Trust us. We accept the fact that you have a very clear mind. Clear, empty, however you want to describe it. What does Trump have to do with any of this? Any of this? This is an outrageous thing for president to say. I can't fathom. I can't fathom. From Truman on, they're rolling over their graves here in this. As long as I'm president, America stands by our sacred commitment to our NATO allies, as they have stood by their commitments to us repeatedly. Putin and the whole world should know, if any adversary were to attack us, our NATO allies would back us. And if Putin were to attack a NATO ally, the United States will defend every inch of NATO territory. Which is reason enough not to let Ukraine be into NATO. But if we're supposed to reject dangerous statements made by Trump, we still haven't answered what we do with statements made by you. Threats made by you. You told Russia that the consequences would come. Can we stay focused? If no consequences, disastrous consequences come from the death of opposition leader Alexei Navalny, then why'd you say it? Why should anybody believe you? Where's the moral authority, damn it? Or is this just another great example of pseudo-tough guy Joe Biden being a pseudo-tough guy? That's all he is. That's all he is. Just a guy who wants to talk a big blowhard game. Look at me, I'm really strong. And then when the moment comes, he's got nothing. Now, should I tell you, or would I tell you that I think that the death of Alexei Navalny means that we should go to war? No. But I wouldn't have made the threat to begin with. But it's important that you know that he did. And now he does nothing. And instead, goes on rants like this. We're looking at a whole number of options. That's all I'll say right now. Is there anything you can do to get ammunition to the Ukrainians without the supplemental from Congress? 
No, but it's about time they step up, don't you think? Instead of going on a two-week vacation. Two weeks. They're walking away. Two weeks. What are they thinking? My God. This is bizarre. And it's just reinforcing all the concern and, and, and almost, I won't say panic, but real concern about the United States being a reliable ally. You said there would be disastrous consequences and you don't do anything, but you're going to talk about Congress when, when discussing a reliable ally. Someone come claim this old man from Lost and Found and get him out of the White House. I'm Tony Katz. A story nobody is talking about, but I think everyone should. Did you know Mr. Beast brings in $700 million a year? Now, some of you are asking, who's Mr. Beast? And this is part of the issue. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Mr. Beast is a YouTube star. Content creator. He is the guy who does these crazy money giveaways and, and, and a whole series of things. His real name is Jimmy Donaldson. His videos are so insanely popular. We're talking about every video getting over 100 million views. He has 239 million subscribers. You want to talk about power, there it is. And he brings in 600 to 700 million each and every year. When you see that from a guy who, who creates content, it's very hard to then say to uh, your kids, uh, don't make videos, don't make this, don't make that. There's no point. There's no money in it. There clearly is money in it. Uh, the problem is there might not be money for your kid in it. And this is the part that matters. I encourage, um, well, I, should, I should say encourage, I don't discourage my kids from making content. Although in their younger years, I would never allow them to appear on camera. No, you can't do that. Now it's a little bit different. I absolutely uh, am fine with, hey, you want to be a content creator? Go ahead. But you have to accept the fact that creating something doesn't mean people watch the something. And you can discuss how you're going to do this and do that and do the other. There's no answer for why something goes viral. There's no answer for why something hits. Why did this guy's videos hit in the beginning that allowed him to amass some of the dollars to do some of the crazy things he does to then get more views, to then get more dollars, to then keep doing the thing? But this guy is making $700 million a year. $700 million. That's what it, the revenue is bringing in. If you were doing 10% of that, you'd be the richest guy you knew. 1% of it, you'd be the richest guy you knew. If your objective is to only hit that number, like that success, you're never going to get anywhere. You can create because, well, you want to, because you enjoy it, because you can make a living at it. Yes, you can. Not everybody does, though. So you better have a plan B. 
But you should watch the videos and be like, how is this so popular? And then ask yourself, well, maybe I don't have to know the answer. Just recognize that it is. 700 million. That is a nutty number. This is Tony Katz today. I think uh, the, the theme of the day is being morally compromised. Right, right. As opposed to my voice, which is just compromised because of the cold. Morally compromised. The idea that, well, it's not that a situation has caused you to go against your own values, but rather when in the reality, what you believe, what you value is just, it's, it's, it's beyond lost. So maybe it's not morally compromised. Maybe it's just a lack of morals to begin with. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Find everything going on at TonyKatz.com. Is, is that how we think of Fonnie Willis in this trial? Because holy mackerel. Her taking the stand yesterday. Notice, no taking the stand today. She already said, uh, not going to happen. Actually, it wasn't her. It was the, uh, the, the um, Trump team in this case who are bringing this case about she's acted improper. She has a sexual relationship with the prosecutor. Of course, this is about charging Donald Trump with election interference in 2020, utilizing RICO racketeering charges to go after him. And they have this relationship and they knew each other longer than they said they did. And he's getting paid more than she would have paid other people. And he's taking her on these vacations. And that, in my view, is a kickback. And so then she takes the stand and how dare you and the yelling and the screaming and the... And the, and the carrying on, I mean, the madness of of, of Fonnie Willis on the, on the stand. And people are trying to defend it. I mean, this is some of the stuff Fonnie Willis had to say. So the point is that what you're telling us is that uh, you were uh, in financial straits, but really that your testimony today is you had a cash hoard of maybe up to $10,000 in cash where you laid your head at night so that you would dip out and there would be no record of it, correct? That's not what I'm telling you, sir. That's not, that's not at all what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is that throughout the course of my life, I have always kept cash in my house. That cash has ranged from times, you know, my father would probably be ashamed of this because he would say it should be more, but that time, that cash at times has ranged from $500 to maybe $9,000, and he, he would be like, that is not what I told you to do. Um, I've always had that amount of money. What I've told you is that when I travel, you do better negotiating when you travel. If you have cash, you can you go to get the cab. They say, oh, we're going to charge you 300 for the day. Well, I got American cash. Will you take it for 150? And so it's my practice to take money when I travel. We're not talking about a whole lot of money. We're going to the Bahamas. 1500 in cash is in my pocket or at the most 2500 Belize was actually probably the most money I've ever taken. And it was taken because it was a big deal. My 50th birthday sucked. His 50th birthday, it sucked. It was terrible. No. And so I'm back to, to some questions here. I'm, I'm trying to answer it. I don't know how you even think you're answering the question by talking about how terrible your 50th birthday was when you're talking about all the cash that you keep on you or keep in your house because the cash supposedly is how she paid uh, Nathan Wade back, her lover. 
the actual prosecutor that she hired to take on Trump in these cases, in, in this whole RICO setting, she paid him back with cash that she kept at her house. But there are no receipts. And then she wants to follow it up with, see my 50th birthday, it just sucked. Well, I, I, I can't imagine why it was terrible. Because listening to you on the stand, you sound like a treat. I, how is it that guys aren't flocking to you? That's a whole conversation in and of itself. There's a whole conversation in and of itself about how she has engaged on the stand and the people who are angry. How dare you treat a black woman like this? And you're like, what are you even talking about? And then you realize, no, they're serious. They're serious. So you got to dig super deep into the cultural of that. I'll get to that next week. The voice is just not going to let me get that deep on it right now. Just, it's not going to happen. No, I wanted to get into the idea of morally compromised. Morally compromised certainly can be seen as it looks like you were involved in a quid pro quo. It looks like you were involved in getting kickbacks from your lover for paying him so much. And he was rewarding you with trips that he would put on a business credit card, but you would allegedly pay for in cash. And what is your response? How dare you? And my 50th birthday sucked. Like that's, that's something else. But then there's Martin Griffiths who is the relief chief of the United Nations. Actually, the official title is Undersecretary General for Humanitarian Affairs and Emergency Relief Coordinator. That's a, that's a big, fancy title. You would think that with a big, fancy title like that, he'd be someone important, someone very focused on creating a good and just society. Here is Martin Griffiths. In terms of Israel's plan to eliminate Hamas and have them never be part of any future negotiation when it comes to Gaza. Do you think that's realistic? I think it's very difficult. And as you say, I've, I've worked with many, many, many different terrorists and, and, and insurgent groups. Uh, Hamas is not a terrorist group for, for us, of course, as you know, it's a political movement. Morally compromised. Or maybe better said, no morality whatsoever. We no longer have to ask ourselves, like for many years we have not had to ask ourselves whether or not the United Nations provides any value. It doesn't. It doesn't provide any value at all. It is a horrific organization filled with the most violent, virulent people there are. The UNRWA, their relief network, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian refugees, they were aiding and abetting Hamas, which is a terrorist organization by every measure. But the UN doesn't see them as a terrorist organization. The United Nations doesn't see Hamas as the enemy of free and thinking people, of humanity. No, they're a, wait, how did he describe them? They're a, they're a revolutionary kind of group. Wait, what? And as you say, I've, I've worked with many, many, many different terrorist and, and, and insurgent groups. Uh, Hamas is not a terrorist group for, for us, of course, as you know. It's a political movement. Hamas is not a political movement. Hamas is an arm of the Ayatollah, an arm of Iran, the mullahs, the, 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 the clerics. It is a group that wants to destroy Israel and kill all Jews. That's who they are. 
That's what they want to do. This isn't a debatable question. And there are plenty of people who will show uh, their support for Hamas. These people can be described as morally questionable or morally compromised. This, for example, is Rashida Tlaib, member of Congress, sadly, who never met a Hamas a member she didn't love. And when the resolution came before Congress to condemn the use of rape and sexual violence by Hamas, she did not vote in favor of the resolution. She voted present and then has the audacity to come to the floor of the House and say, well, here's why. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. All acts of sexual violence are horrific. We should all be fighting to end it here at home and all around the world. So while the resolution on the floor today rightfully denounces any sexual violence by Hamas, I'm disturbed that it completely ignores and erases any sexual violence and abuse committed by the Israeli forces against Palestinians, especially children. War crimes cannot justify more war crimes. We must stand up for everyone's safety and human rights, no matter their faith, no matter their ethnicity. There are numerous well-documented reports of sexual violence, including rape, committed by Israeli forces against Palestinians in their custody. Children detained and stripped to their underwear in public for the world to see. Mr. Speaker, I'd like to submit for the record a Haritz article titled, Settlers and Soldiers Abused Palestinians. Without objection. The UN and human rights groups have raised alarms for years, but Congress did nothing, never cared. We all have a responsibility to denounce sexual violence in all forms, regardless of who is responsible. This resolution fell, falls well short of that responsibility, Mr. Speaker. I yield. First, uh, when you talk about the UN groups, do you mean the same group that was assisting Hamas in murdering Jews and Israelis and other people? Is that the UN group, Representative Tlaib? You Jew-hating bigot. But here's the big one. If you were to find me an Israeli soldier guilty of sexual abuse, the Israeli army would be on top of removing that soldier. True or false? It isn't from on high that you go about raping the women and videotaping it for the world to see. That's not how the Israeli army operates. That's not how the IDF operates. That is how Hamas operates. They raped women and videotaped all of it for everybody to see. They murdered and they burned children alive and videotaped all of it for the world to see. So, of course, Representative Tlaib, being a Jew-hating bigot, is involved here in a level of a moral equivocation that does not exist. It doesn't exist. It's not real. But she will make the claim that we have to go bigger and broader as opposed to announcing to the world that Hamas is a terrorist organization because she can't do it. And in my view, it's because, and I think in your view as well, she sides with Hamas. She sides with the terrorists. She sides with the destruction of Israel. She sides with the killing of Jews. What's the difference between her and any KKK member that would side with the killing of Jews and black people? Remember, remember, if, if you're black, uh, the KKK hates us both. So 
Yeah, we got that in common. Oh, we have other things in common. That's the best when they're like, we don't have anything in common because of of, of different skin color or or, or or religion. Like we like somehow that they get to decide whether or not we can like each other. Who the hell are they? See that I lost my voice there. Who the hell are they? See we we didn't fix it in post. We do it live. Oh, oh, it's not easy to do radio when you don't have a voice. I'll tell you that much. But this this level of Moral, I don't even know what to call it anymore. Being morally compromised. Maybe it's not compromised. Maybe it's just being morally bereft. A recognition that there are indeed bad people. And they all seem to center around the same areas, which are these positions of power. You've run into bad people in your life. But have you ever seen such a concentration of them? Uh, except, you know, when you see these people who are on top, who are supposed to be leaders, they're, they're somehow in charge of things. How is that possible? Because very often people who are on top are promoted by other people in the same kind of ranks and areas. So exactly how many morally bereft people are leading the world? And is this what we want? The, the answer clearly to that should be, should be No. But it, it, it must start with a, a, a statement of these people have no soul. They have no character. They have no decency. Anybody who supports Rashida Tlaib is wrong. She is a disgusting, Jew-hating bigot. She won't vote to condemn rape and sexual violence. So I think it's very okay to say about Representative Rashida Tlaib that she's okay with be- women being raped. She's fine with it. I mean, as long as they're Jews. She's fine with it. You won't stand up against it because of some canard that you're inventing about the IDF? The IDF has no mathematics that says go out there and rape. No no uh, uh, signed off uh, bit of, of legislation or ruling or, or, or dictate as opposed to Hamas, which clearly did. The fact that we would even have to go through that, that's crazy talk. And what we should do is take a step back and say, Rashida Tlaib, we see you. This is disgusting. Don't you know that we know that you're horrific? We get it. You hate Jews. It would be very hard to vote her out of her district. So what you have to do is completely isolate her within that district. Omar has to go, and Ocasio-Cortez has to go, and Jamal Bowman has to go, and Ayanna Presley has to go. You have to run other Democrats against them because you might not get a Republican to win in those districts. You run other Democrats against them in primaries who at least don't have this level of, of hate and don't have this moral ambiguity about them, this, this, this moral vacuum. They at least somewhere have a soul. We might disagree about other things, but dear God, you don't leave this in a, in a position of power. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the idea of being morally compromised. That's a bit of a theme going on. And it's in way too many people in too many high places. And it's time for us to do our job and remove them from those positions via the vote and remove ourselves from supporting them with our checkbooks, which means a long look at the U.N., and the time to say goodbye, well, how is that not right now? This is Tony Katz today.
Wholesale prices are up. That means the cost of making the goods that you then sell is up, but retail sales are down. But the consumer price index, the price you're paying for everything is up, which makes sense because the cost of making the thing is up. This is where our economy is at. You've got Cisco Systems laying off 4,000 people. And as the news came out today, not only about the producer price index, which is up way more than expected, Nike is now uh, uh, laying off 2% of its workforce. That's 1,500 jobs, more. They're going to be doing a big restructuring. Now, sometimes it is exactly that. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Great to be here. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Sometimes a business makes a change. They, they, all right, we can do this, we can do that, we can reduce costs, let's go do that. That isn't so much about the economy. Laying off 4,000 people in the tech sector, again, when we've seen constant layoffs in the tech sector, that's about the economy. If you're not right now in AI, you can't be guaranteed of a job. It costs more to make the thing, it costs you more to buy the thing. That is the story of this economy. Undeniable. And everybody's feeling it. And everybody knows they're being lied to. And I bring this up only as a reminder that you're not crazy. Not to beat a dead horse. But that it's wrong that this administration, Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, and others lie to us. Somehow this economy is strong and we don't understand how great it is. We understand plenty. This economy is not working for a vast majority of Americans. And the administration doesn't want to notice or doesn't care. I mean, those are the options. This is Tony Katz today.